If you have your Bible with you, you can open to James chapter 1. And if you, like me, have forgotten, now would be a good time to silence your phone. Anyone else? Anyone else forget? Okay, just me. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. You can follow along with me as I read. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me in prayer? All-knowing and all-wise God, we come to you acknowledging that we are without wisdom, that were it not for you, that we would be lost and adrift in life, groping in the darkness, trying to find our way home. We pray, Father, that as uh, we spend time in your word, that your spirit would be active in our midst, that he would be giving us understanding and insight, right application. We pray that we would see how all of these gifts and promises are ours because of the work of Christ on our behalf. And it's through his name that we pray. Amen. So, Wisdom for our trials, James 1, 5 through 8. One of the things that uh, can become somewhat difficult in James is trying to uh, make connections or trying to see what the flow of thought is in James. Uh, James has, and I I think rightly so, has been compared to Proverbs in the Old Testament. There's a a lot of wisdom, uh, a lot of short, pithy sayings that are in the letter, and so a lot of people, as they approach James, approach it the way they do Proverbs. So if you have read through Proverbs before, or anytime you'll notice that from one verse to the next in Proverbs, you can go from one topic to another. So one verse is talking about uh, riches. The next verse is talking about sexual immorality. The next verse is talking about family. The next verse, right, on and on and on. And with that sort of feel to James, almost a New Testament wisdom book, oftentimes when we approach James, there is that sort of disconnectedness where almost anywhere that you drop in, it's just sort of a standalone passage. There are places where that's the case, where it does seem like James moves from one topic to another with little or maybe no connection between what precedes it and what comes after it. But I don't think that that's the case here. Let me show you why. Last week in verses 2 through 4, we listened as the Lord through James told us what he was doing for his people when we encounter times of testing and trial that he is developing character, namely, he's giving us the quality of endurance so that we can remain in that trial, so that within the pressure and the heat of the trial and test, we are being molded and refined and purified to become mature and complete, a maturity that we said is measured by the character of Christ himself. Trials are making us 
more like Christ. So that the end result, according to James in verse 4, is that when trials run their course, you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing or not lacking anything. But then notice the way that verse 5 starts off. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. Do you see the, the hinge word or the, or the connecting word? At the end of your trial, God is going to see to it that you lack nothing. But, verse 5, if right now you lack wisdom, ask God. So I think what James is doing here by, by ending verse 4 with that idea of not lacking and then opening verse 5 with the idea that we do lack, is that James is saying, at the end of the day, the Lord will bring you to a place where you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's at the end of the process. At the end of all your tests and trials, God will perfect you. You will lack no good thing. But because you have not reached the end of your tests and trials, because you still have this one and that one and many more coming, you need wisdom to work your way through the trials. Now, let me clarify a little bit more on what kind of wisdom or to what end James says we need wisdom. It may be, if you think to, uh, to Psalm 90 that JT read earlier, where Moses says, uh, teach us to number our days so that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. One way that you can think about wisdom is that wisdom is being able to see life from God's perspective. If that's what James is talking about, then the reason that we need wisdom in verse 5 is so that when we go through our trials, we will see our trials the way that God sees them and the way that God has designed them to work. So essentially what he would be saying then in verses 5 and following is that this perspective or this eternal view on your trials that you don't like, that are uncomfortable, you need God's perspective for you to see it rightly. That could be what James is talking about and may be part of it. I think, though, that it's a little bit more specific than that. I think what James means by wisdom is the other aspect of wisdom that you often see in the Old Testament, which is, if we could oversimplify, Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. So let me, it, it would be something like this. Let's say that at your job, in your place of business, you are going through an unusually difficult time of testing and trial right now. You sat in the pew at Edgewood Baptist Church last week, and you heard that your difficulty at work is God's way of developing endurance in your character so that you could withstand that pressure and be molded and perfected in the image of Christ. And you believe that. You're convinced because that's what God says in his word, that that's what God is doing through this unpleasant, uncomfortable time at work. Now what? Because I'm having difficulty at work, it may be that one of the things that I need to do as I walk through this trial, I may need to speak to my employer or my coworker to talk about this trouble that we're having. That may be one of the ways that God is perfecting me. Communication skills. 
It may be that as I go through this trial, this difficulty at work, that God is not wanting or expecting me to say anything to anyone, but that I am just to simply endure it silently. That may be. Or it may be that God is using this discomfort, this, this pressure to prepare me to make another move where I go from one job to another. Do you see? Three different avenues, each one of which could be viable options for the, Christians to, for the Christian to take. How do I know whether it's option one, two, or three? And James would say, that's why you need wisdom. You need wisdom because you don't just simply need to know that God is working in your trial, but you need to be able to take what you know of the Lord and what he has said and rightly apply it to your situation so that you not only withstand the pressure, but you learn how to walk through your test on the path that God has set you on. Does that make sense? That's the need for wisdom in the midst of trials. So this breaks down essentially in two ways, two primary points that James is making. Number one, that we are to ask for wisdom and God will give it. And number two, we're to ask, but don't waver. So ask for wisdom and God will give it, but when you ask, don't waver. Number one. Ask for wisdom, and God will give it. One of the things that we miss, because of the the awkwardness of of translation, of interpretation, is that verse 5, when it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. That let him ask, that sounds like you're being given the option. You're being given permission. You may ask. The word, though, is an imperative in the New Testament. It's a command. So it's not, you may ask for wisdom. It is, you must ask for wisdom. The reason that you must ask for wisdom, at least in part, is once again because you don't want to just merely endure the process You don't want to survive the test and trial, but you want to walk your trial the way that Christ himself would walk. You want to give evidence of the fact that you are a child of God, and that requires wisdom. You must ask for wisdom. Even if we pause here, why would we not ask for wisdom? I wasn't expecting an answer, but thank you for giving it. One reason that we may not ask for wisdom is because of pride. I can figure it out. I know what to do. I've been here before. One reason that we may not ask for wisdom is because we're just not accustomed to going to God for the things that we need. That's also another form of pride. Right? Self-sufficiency. God's done his part. Now I'm going to do mine. Or it could be that you're just not convinced that if you ask for wisdom, you're going to get it. 
you doubt God. Either way, for whatever reason that you would not obey the command of verse 5, for whatever reason that you would not ask for wisdom in the midst of your trial, it does not reflect well on you and on me. But notice that the command that's given is not merely this austere, sort of cold, dictator-like voice coming down, you must ask for wisdom. The command is given to ask for wisdom, and with the command comes a promise. You must ask. And the promise is, if you ask, you'll get it. You will get the wisdom that you need just because you ask. How easy is it to ask for something? It's so easy. That is how easy, that is how readily available God's divine wisdom is to his people. He gives it simply by their asking for it. The reason that God gives wisdom when his people ask for it is because of what else James tells us here. It's just in God's nature to do that. When you read in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Does it go on to describe how you will ask or the words that you're going to use when you ask? Is, is that the security, the guarantee that you will get the wisdom that you ask for? What's the guarantee that if you ask, you will receive? It's not your words, it's God's nature. God is said to be by His nature the one who gives generously or I think maybe what James has in mind here, the one who gives simply. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. He gives simply or generously, and he gives without any reproach. This means that you have a father who gives this way. To say that God gives simply is to say that God gives wisdom to you without any ill will or mixed motives, without any hesitancy or second guessing. He gives it purely, fully. I think in part that's one of the ways or one of the reasons why it says that he gives generously. Because when God gives without reservation, he is going to give fully and generously. He gives single-mindedly with the full intention to give and not hold anything back and he gives without any hesitation or reservation without looking down on you and me when we ask for wisdom any of you parents know how hard it is to give this way how long does it take or how many times does it take your child to come and ask you for something before you begin to give or withhold with reproach? You asked for this yesterday. 
Why are you asking again? You were in this mess yesterday. Why are you asking for my help again? It usually takes me twice. James says that when you ask God for wisdom, he fully intends to give it to you, and he doesn't berate you for your need of wisdom. He doesn't pour his wisdom out on you and say, you pathetic fool, when will you learn? If anything... Because God is so desirous and so giving by his nature, his response to our request is probably more along the lines of, I thought you'd never ask. What took you so long? You need wisdom? I've got gobs of it. Do you think you'll need wisdom tomorrow? Come ask. Let me know. I've got more. How easy this command is when your heart is lightened by the nature of God's goodness and giving. How easy it is as foolish, weak people to go to a father who loves us and to say, I don't know what to do. I know that you're doing something, but I can't make heads or tails out of it. I don't know what my next step is. Father, would you please give me wisdom? Help me understand. And that is the kind of prayer that the Lord delights to answer. We ought to delight to ask. How does God give this wisdom? It could be that the nature of the asking and the giving is something like you and I need wisdom so we ask for it and when we ask for it God just sort of does this sort of miracle miraculous wisdom dump into our mind. It's sort of you know we're bopping along we don't have a clue what's going on all of a sudden ah wisdom. I don't think that's the way that God works. I think he can work that way. Right? There are times when God miraculously gives wisdom and direction to his people, but a miracle by definition is the exception to the rule. That's not the normal way that God works. The way that God gives wisdom to his people is through his word and through his son by his Holy Spirit. Hold your place here and go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 2. Read with me. Let's pick up at verse 2. Proverbs 2, 2. So to people who need wisdom, the Lord would say this, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. There's the asking. 
If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Where, according to Proverbs 2, 6, does wisdom come from? Where? Wisdom comes from the mouth of the Lord. Wisdom is in the word of the Lord. Where would we find the word of the Lord that gives us wisdom? Many of you are holding it right now. This is the wisdom of God given to his people. He stores up sound wisdom. He stores up sound wisdom and he has put it in a book for you to look at and to read and to search any time that you want or any time that you have need. Why would you not do that? If wisdom is the right application of knowledge, one of the ways that God gives wisdom when his people ask for it is that he takes the knowledge that has been implanted in our hearts and minds by his word and he makes that knowledge effective in the moment in which we need it. He does that sometimes by things as simple or as seemingly coincidental as remembering something that we had forgotten. That's the Lord giving you wisdom. He sometimes answers your request for wisdom by enabling you to read something a week earlier that you don't know you're going to need the next week. And what do you know? What a coincidence. I was just reading about this last week. Were you now? God has stored up wisdom for his people so that when they find themselves at their wit's end, which should not take long, we can call out to him and say, I am in desperate need of understanding and direction and wisdom. I do not know what is my next step. God, help me. And the Lord in his grace loves to make his words effective and meaningful in our hearts and minds so that we can do the very thing that he has called us to do, live for his glory. God gives wisdom through his word. He also gives wisdom through his son. Turn with me to Colossians 2. Pick up with me at verse 2, Colossians 2, verses 2 through 3. <clears throat> Paul is desirous, is wanting, that these Christians have their hearts encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth 
that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ. And then listen, in whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you remember the statement in Proverbs 2? If you search for her like treasure, the greatest treasure that God has given to His people is the person of His own Son. If you dig into God's Word like you are in a jewel mine looking for riches so that you can find wisdom, God says you will find wisdom. And because all of God's Word ultimately takes on flesh in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, another thing that you ought to do is to consider to set your mind on Christ, to ask yourself, what would Christ do in this situation? What does it mean to live as Christ in the midst of this test or in this trial? All of the wisdom of God that you need for your life, it does not matter what the test or the trial is, has already been handed to you on a silver platter. It has been given to you through the Scriptures, and it has been given to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You lack nothing if you ask. By the way, if you have your notes, we have the first part of that. God gives wisdom through His Word and His Son. You might could add on to that by His Spirit. We won't get into it right now, but Paul makes an interesting statement in 1 Corinthians 2 where he says that we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God so that we may know the things of God so that we may have the mind of Christ. It's the Spirit who indwells us, who takes all of the riches of God's Word, all of the revelation that's in Jesus Christ, and who makes it effective and relevant and actual in our lives as we walk. Okay, so if we already have all this wisdom in the Word, if we have all this wisdom in the person of Christ who dwells within us by His Spirit, I'm, I'm missing the point. Why do I need to ask for wisdom if it sounds like, if what you're saying, Merit, is that I already have it? What, what am I asking for? Right, let, me, let me give you an example of why you still need to ask for wisdom that has already been given to you. Proverbs chapter 26. I want you to imagine that you are dealing with a fool. What do I do with this fool who troubles me every day? Here is God's wisdom in His Word. Proverbs 26, 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. 
check. Anyone read ahead? Verse 5, answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he not be wise in his own eyes. Well, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to answer him or not? One minute you're telling me, Lord, that I am supposed to answer the fool. The next minute you're telling me that I'm not supposed to be answering the fool. I can't do both. That's why you need to ask for wisdom. You need to ask for wisdom because you need the right application of God's knowledge. You need to know, is this the kind of fool or is this the kind of situation that requires me to speak? Or is this the kind of fool or is this the kind of situation that does not require me to speak? Or to muddy the waters further, it may be that the same person or the same situation needs to be spoken to one day and doesn't need to be spoken to the next day. You need wisdom every day and a fresh supply of it. This is, this is part of what's going on when the Lord is making you, when God is making you more like Christ. Right, if, bear with me for a minute. Let me, let me try to tie together verses 2 through 4 and verse 5 in the person of Christ. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 40 The child, referring to Jesus, the child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. When Jesus took on, when the Son took on our human nature, he had to learn wisdom. He had to grow in wisdom. Look down a little bit further in verse 52. Luke 2, 52. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Have you ever thought about the fact that the life of your Savior, the, the one whom your life is being modeled after, that he had to grow in wisdom, and if he had to grow in wisdom, then chances are pretty good that you'll have to grow in wisdom as well? If it's good enough for Jesus, it ought to be good enough for us. Then Jesus, after the end of chapter 2, the scene moves to John the Baptist. And then when we pick back up with Jesus in earnest, we have a brief mention of his baptism. We pick back up with Jesus in full in Luke chapter 4. Look at Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, the one who gives and makes wisdom effective, 
returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Now, this word that Luke uses here, tempted, most of our versions say tempted, is the exact same word that James uses in verses 2 through 4 when he says, count it all joy during your times of testing or your trial, when you encounter various trials. That word for trial is the same word for temptation. Because oftentimes, with every trial is a temptation, with every temptation is a trial. It can work both ways. Does the Father, by the work of the Holy Spirit, send His Son out into the wilderness to be tested and tempted in order to see Him fail? Okay, that's a hard no. Why is the Son sent out into the wilderness to be tested and tempted? So that in passing the test, He will show Himself to be the genuine Son of God. How do you know that Jesus has been increasing in wisdom so that he is prepared for his time of testing in the wilderness. Because when Satan comes and says, I'm not really sure that you have the kind of credentials that you need to prove yourself to be the Son of God, Jesus returns effectively with Scripture. He takes the knowledge of God contained in the Word, and he rightly applies it to his situation in the need of the moment. That is what God is doing for you and me when he takes us through trials and when he tells us, when he commands us to ask for wisdom. He is making us more like Jesus. Our lives are being patterned after the model of Jesus himself. When you go through a trial and when you feel like you don't know how to make heads or tails out of what's going on, it's not because God has abandoned you. He didn't abandon his son in the wilderness. He has not abandoned you. But what God is doing for his glory and for your good is that he is sending you into the wilderness of your testing, the wilderness of your trial, so that through this pressure and this purification, you will be seen as a genuine child of God who adheres to the word of the Lord who says, I would rather feed on the, on the word of the Lord and be obedient to God than I would eat. I would rather starve than be disobedient to my king. That's what God is doing for us. All of this is pure promise. You ask and I'll give. So back to James chapter 1. There's one exception. Verses 6 through 8. But the one who asks for wisdom must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
Some of you were tracking pretty good. You were pretty excited about the fact that God had given you a blank check to say, you ask for wisdom and I'm gonna pour out the riches of my knowledge into you so that you know how to live. And then you get to verse six and you say, well, that ruins that. The exception is, the escape clause is that if I doubt when I ask, I get nothing. Have you seen my prayer life? There's not a single thing that I pray for that is not tinged in some way with some measure of doubt. Why would I ever expect that the Lord is going to give me wisdom when I ask for it? It's not hopeless. You don't have to be perfect in faith in order to get God's wisdom, and I'll explain to you why. What James is talking about here is not a weakness of faith so much as it is a waywardness of heart. The word that he uses for doubt is a word that carries with it the idea of you're doubting because you are trying to choose between two alternatives, okay? So it would be something like this. A father says to his son, son, anytime you get to a place in your homework where you don't know what to do, you come and ask me, and I'll help you with your homework. So Junior's at the table doing his homework. He gets to a part that he doesn't know what to do, and he remembers, Dad told me that if I get to a, a part where I'm stuck, I need to go ask him, and he'll help me. So he gets up, and he goes, and he asks. But when he goes and when he asks, he also knows that Dad is in the middle of something. And he's a little unsure about going and asking Dad right now for help on his homework because he knows that Dad is busy, and he's not exactly sure if he's going to get the answer or the help that he needs when he asks his dad for it, Right? That's a weakness of faith in the character of the Father. That's not what James is talking about. What James is talking about is Junior is sitting at the table. He gets to a place in his homework where he's stuck, and this is what he thinks. I know that my dad told me that I could go ask him for help with my homework, but I think there's a guy down the street who also could help me with my homework. What will I do? That's the doubt. The doubt is not being fully convinced that God is your source of wisdom, that you can find wisdom from someone or something else. And so your life is characterized or is likened, the way that James describes it, as the waves of the sea. One minute the water is moving this way with the currents and the waves, all it takes is for the wind to shift, and this wave, this current is moving in the opposite direction. There's no consistency. There's no steadiness. There's no rootedness or grounding for this person. This person is a spiritual drifter. This is one of the reasons why these promises are only good and effective for God's children. It's only God's children 
who have come to know God as Father. It's only God's children who know that they can trust the promises of their Father, who believe Him to be true. People who come to God, presumably, in a time of crisis or trial, just because they need something fixed, they're not interested in God. They want a genie. They don't want God. They want comfort. They don't want Christ. So Christian, guard yourself in the midst of your tests and trials. When you find that you're at your wit's end, when you don't have a clue what to do, be careful about the impulses, the fleshly impulses that go through your mind and heart that tell you, well, I could spend time in the Word, I could take time to pray, but I could also get probably wisdom that's just as good from another source. We do have Dr. Phil, by the way. Have you seen my podcast library? We have cable TV, MSNBC, Fox and Friends. I got all kinds of people that I can turn to to tell me how I should think about this test or this crisis. If you begin to think like that so that your heart is drawn away from the Lord, James says you ought not to expect that the Lord would honor that kind of rebellion by giving you the gift of his wisdom. It is once again, God and everything, or no God and nothing. But precisely because God is so good as our Father, precisely because we have been united to Christ and we have the mind of Christ and we have the Spirit dwelling within us, we can know for certain that even in the midst of our confusion, even in the midst of our doubt and our weakness, that if we ask for God's wisdom, He will give it. Let's pray. Father, we are so small in our trust when we see and hear your promises clearly given to us in your word. You are far more ready to give than we are to even receive. Forgive us, Father, for falling prey to the notion that we could find wisdom equivalent to yours in any other person or any other source, that we could find wisdom on the cheap apart from your word and apart from our life in Christ. Father, we ask that your spirit who dwells in us and dwells among us would be faithful to draw our hearts and minds back to your word, back to our Savior, 
that you would guard us and keep us from deluding our minds with the so-called knowledge and wisdom of this world that we would have as our primary concern a desire to walk faithfully through our times of testing and trial so that we would be shown to be children of God, molded in the image of Christ. We thank you that you're patient with us. We ask that you would continue to be patient and kind. Do with us, Father, what you will. Give us the grace to trust you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.